Uh, If you guys have a Bible, you can open to James. We are in James 4. And I'm going to start by reading right away the verses that we have today. It's James 4. Um, I'm going to trick you a little bit, and we're going to start right before it. Don't worry. You can still turn to James 4. The verse right before is where we're going to start, James 3.18, and and read through James 4.10. To start, one of the things that has come out as we've looked at the book of James is just how intensely practical everything he is writing. It is marching orders for a, a new, young church who... Their, their primary question is they've scattered throughout the world, the world that does not know Jesus. What they've wanted to know is what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? They don't have any sort of tradition up to this point of what it means to be a Christian. And so they are making the tradition themselves. And so they have all these questions. And, and as they've walked in obedience to the teachings of Jesus, they've got it right sometimes, and sometimes they haven't got it right. And so James is writing to them saying, hey, like you're doing these things well, persevere in those things and you'll mature in your faith. These other things, like the way you talk to one another, you hurt each other, stop doing that. And so just real practical information for them. that If they live that out with wisdom, they'll walk in righteousness. And so today, uh, I get the, the privilege of speaking to you about When we desire sin, what do we do? When we desire something that is not Jesus, what do we do? And and it's it's interesting that he, he talks about this now because he just talked about the life of the person who is a peacemaker, who's found peace in their hearts in Jesus and is walking that out, living that out, what that looks like. That is the blessed life. That's the happy life. And so that's... James 3.18, where he says this. He says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And, and immediately this might be hard for some of us to, to uh, get on board with his imagery because probably very few of you harvest anything other than in the grocery store. What he's saying here is if you sow, which means if you plant seeds, in time it will produce something incredible. Now, this, this came home to me a couple years ago, how little I also, uh, I think, understand this. I was in Chicago for a week-long immersion looking at urban ministry, and, and they told me a story about how they had decided to put a couple planter boxes outside of this inner city ministry um, called Lawndale Community Church in Chicago. And <clears throat> they, had, they had decided they would do this so the kids could understand what it meant to, to plant and to wait and to harvest cucumbers. And so, so they planted the seed and... <laughs> And they watered it, and then the next morning, all the kids, you know, neighborhood, because they came, they ran to the planter box, and they were like, it doesn't work. <laughs> See, what they were experiencing was, was they didn't understand the, the process. That if you plant, the seeds can be good, but you have to wait. And, uh, and I think this is so true for us in our lives. We maybe even look at, 
at our faith commitment, and we're like, it didn't work. <laughs> like, I said yes to Jesus yesterday, I'm not perfect today. I don't know what happened. Like, this is broken. And, uh, and that's not the case. The, the, the truth is that you have been tremendously broken, and, and God has planted something true in you. What's true also is that, that some of us might be questioning why we are where we are today. And have forgotten the choices we made a year ago, the choices we made five years ago that led us to where we are today. And that might be a sobering reality. How do we, at this point, when we desire sin because it is so deeply ingrained in the soil of our lives, how do we root that out? Because the roots can be so deep. And that's the challenge that James is addressing here in chapter 4. And that's starting in verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And it seems like a a challenging end there, but, but as we start from the beginning and get there, I think we will all be there by the time we get to verse 9. Because where we start is a promise, right? If you are a peacemaker and you sow in peace, you will harvest righteousness in your life. You will, you will come out on the other side and be incredibly happy with the way you have lived. <laughs> there will be sincere, unhindered, crazy, awesome joy in your life. And yet... A lot of us aren't there because, why? Well, because James goes, well, that's not where you're at. Where you are at is there are still quarreling and arguing. There is battling in you. So he asked two rhetorical, rhetorical questions. And this is the first thing. There is a battle going on. That oftentimes we... Uh, persist in wanting to be very naive to. There's a battle going on. So the first rhetorical question is this. He says, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? And the rhetor- it's rhetorical in the sense of he just talked about sowing and harvesting peace and righteousness. And then he's like, so what causes the battles? And so what he's, the, the question he's asking is, because I know what's going on. Like, I know you're not a perfect church. I know that in you there is still a lot of unrest that leads to you being mean to one another. Isn't that kind of a strange like, thought right after? Like, harvest righteousness. 
You guys fought all the time. <laughs> and, then, and then the second rhetorical question is this. He says, don't they come from desires that battle within you? And the answer is yes. They come from desires that battle deep within you. Right? When I come up and in- introduce myself on a Sunday morning, it's the first time I met you. I'm not like, oh yeah, he's one that battles deeply inwardly. But I, like, I don't see that. <laughs> but, but as I get to know you and you get to know me, you realize that maybe not all is well in the inside of Daniel Frederick. <laughs> Why is that there? Because still, inwardly, there are things going on. And the, the two desires that are waging war against one another are these. You have my desires and you have God's desires. You have my desires and you have God's desires. And the way they're expressed is simply this. My desires is, is to be fulfilled. I see that my will needs to be carried out. To be fulfilled, I see that my will needs to be carried out. God's desire is this. I see that to be fulfilled, I want God's desires to be carried out. Right? There's not even a subtle difference there. Right? My desire is, is to be fulfilled. I want every longing of my heart to be gratified. And if you stand in the way of that, right? God's desire, these are the desires that wage war within you. God's desire is that to be fulfilled, you must submit to him. And anywhere, and this is the big theme that's wrapping this whole thing up, anywhere in your life that is not submitted fully to God is a place where this foreign army dwells in your life, camped out, ready to launch another attack against the desire in you to follow God. They're, they're both described here. In, in James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. That's how it describes this godly desire in our life. That's the way it works out, is peace-loving. <laughs> is submissive to one another, full of mercy, sincere. And then it describes in here what it looks like when we do not submit to him. It says, your desires you, ha- you, you, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. This is my desire within me. Right? I can't fulfill everything I want, so what do I do? I get upset. Because you're not gratifying my desires. And so, I think for us, we can be like, okay, this is pretty biased. You're making God's side look way better. (laughs) And you're making my side look real bad. And the truth is, my side looks real good sometimes. Well, (laughs) see, what, what he's led us to by the time we get here is saying, you're not even aware of how bad your desires are. You're just, your first awareness, when they first strike you, is this. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Oh, I want that. Right? That, that, That's how your desire rears its ugly head, is going like, I know you're on a diet, but you really 
should eat that Twinkie. I got so that's not sin, right? But it's just bad for you. But the way it rears its head is, is you, you want something in your life that you know is not righteousness. And, and honestly, I could fill in a lot of blanks for you. I don't want you to fill that in yourself. And, and when that comes up, when that desire grabs you and holds your heart in its vices, it doesn't look bad. It looks good. But what does that produce in your life? Does that harvest peace? Does that harvest righteousness in your life? No, it doesn't. Because this is all going on subconsciously. It says the battle that wages deep inside of you, and you have no clue that it is going on. So what James is doing here is is he's letting you know, he's letting you on the secret of what's going on inside of you that you're completely unaware of. Because you think sin looks real good, and God's way looks real judgmental. (laughs) He goes, what it produces, the harvest it produces, is what? Well, God's desire, when you submit to his desire, it leads to sincerity, a sincere life that you're not ashamed of because you walked out in what's true. What is my desire? When I follow my desire, what does that lead to? Well, it leads to contention and it leads to argument. It leads to quarreling. It leads to unrest in my life. Um, In... The, the Message Bible in, in Romans 7 uh, has this beautiful description of this, which I want you to read. It says, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it is because it becomes obvious that God's commands are not necessary. But it, I need something more. For I know the law. I know the law, but still I can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. And maybe that's what you feel like. If sin keeps sabotaging my best intentions, it's very obvious that I need some sort of help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel just when I least expect it, and they take charge of me. It's such a good description. Like, I, I want to do good, but I get, I get sabotaged in those desires. And so for us, as this battle wages, I think, I think what we want to know is what really is I want to know what really is going on inside of me. And that, that, that place where desires are formed and then they come to life. What's going on in me? And the test for what is happening in your heart, he says, is prayer. So here he says, you don't have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What do you pray about? When you are silent with God, 
what desires come out, really? What do you want to ask him for? What fills your mind when you start meditating? That's, that's how you know what you desire, I believe. I know that's very true for me personally. When we learn from Jesus how to pray, I mean, literally, you know someone's theology by how they pray. That's when you, you hear what they really mean, how they really think about God. And that's when, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he started by saying, Father, may, may your name be exalted above every name. May you be honored, because you are holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done, right? Your will, not my will. I want your will to be placed above everything else in my life. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. And give us this day hard daily bread, right? Like, may everything I get come from you. I'm not looking just to scrape what I can. I'm not looking to follow my desires and just wish those things would be fulfilled. I want your will to be done, and then you give me what I need. That's how you know what your desires are. And, and some of us might be like, well, I don't even pray. Well, that's what you think about God. You don't think he's worth giving your time to. That it, this really is what exposes us here. So, so when we're exposed, what happens? Well, the next step here is, so the first is there is a battle going on in you. There's not this neutral ground in your heart. <laughs> um, the second step is this, uh, is choosing a side. What does it look like to choose a side? Um, in our culture, we don't like talking about choosing sides. Um, we just like thinking every, it's all okay. Right? I'll give you an example here about this. So, um, imagine you have two little boys and you've told them both, don't play in the mud. And uh, they're Billy and Willie, right? And, and so Willie goes out, because Willie's also, he's the wily one. So he goes out and he, he plays in the mud. And then he comes back in and you know, he's traipsing around, making a mess everywhere. And you're like, Willie, I told you not to play in the mud. He's like, well, aren't we all your children? Right? And, but that's what it's like. This is, this is the reason why we don't like choosing sides here, because we're confusing the fact that all people are made in, 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 in the image of God with the truth that not all things please God. Right? We've confused the fact that all people are made in the image of God, and God is calling all people to himself with the reality that not all things please God. That's what we've done in our culture. We're like, well, doesn't God just, isn't he happy with everything? Because we're all in his image. And no, it's like being like, yeah, well, you are my child, so whatever I said, don't worry about it. No, he's making a mess in the house. Bad Willie. Right? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> Willie has chosen his side and it wasn't his parents' side, right? It was, it was his own desires. And, and that's a, it's a silly example, but literally, in, in our lives, we, we just pretend like it doesn't matter. God is just okay, and we don't actually, at some point, need to recognize the battle is going on 
and, and choose what side we will be on. Um, this, the most powerful example, I think, of this is, is in World War II. They had just been through World War I, and so when, when uh, Hitler started arming Germany again, there was a great denial of what was going on. People didn't want to think that would happen. They, they turned a blind eye because the war had so ravaged Europe that they thought this couldn't happen again. It was the war to end all wars. There should not be another war. No one would do that again. Like, we know what that produces. And so, so as Hitler built his forces and then started taking over slowly other countries, they were like, that, he's going to stop there. He's not going to take any more. And then when he started oppressing the Jewish people. When Jews start disappearing, they were like, you're just making things up. He wouldn't do... Who would do that? And, and that's the same thing we do. We're like, oh, we're, it's okay if, if sin is there. It won't encroach. It won't keep taking over. And it's, that is exactly what it does. And... And to show how extreme this is, the, the example it gives is that of a marriage relationship. It starts by saying, you adulterous people. You've lived unfaithfully. You've been unfaithful to God. And you've pretended as if he doesn't care about that. As if you could do whatever you want. Let your desires go wherever they want and, and God doesn't Take notice, he doesn't care. And yet it says here in James 4, it says, Do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in you? Don't you think that as a, as a good God, as a good husband, that he is wildly jealous over you? And he doesn't want any stray desire in your heart. So what do we do about this when we, um, I guess I'll just share personally, like I in my life have felt very helpless at times knowing the good but not being able to do it. And that's you hear in Romans 7. Like I know what God's asked me to do, but, but maybe right now you are currently living in sin in some way, right? You're currently living in a way that you know um, doesn't please God. Um, what will you do about that? And, and James offers us a way out. He offers us what we should do. Um, and this is so needed. Moving from that place of there is a battle to choosing a side to winning. Like, And what I want for you is to absolutely win, to find absolute victory, find absolute freedom in your life. That's what I want for myself. Um, I remember a couple years ago after the, uh, the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, um, I remember some people being like, well, it was such a blowout. Like, wasn't it not fun to watch halfway through? I was like, no, it was awesome because we beat them real bad. Right? I want a decisive victory like that in your life, where from the beginning you know you're going to win. Right? Like, that's awesome. But I'll share, I'll share another uh, football example with you. Um, 
Because the next year they didn't win, right? And, and, but what happens is when a football game starts, what they do is, like, there's loud music, there's smoke, there's fire, and, like, they run out of the tunnel, right? And everyone goes crazy. They're like, ah, right? Like, I love him! Like, you're amazing, right? Like, they haven't, like, scored a touchdown. Like, no one's been sacked. Like, like nothing has happened, and yet we're like, yeah! Like, and, but this is what we're like in the battle against sin. Is we're, oftentimes, this is what I hear encouragement look like. Do you know you're better than that? You're strong. You're awesome. Right? You're crazy good against sin. Like, don't worry about it. And I'm exaggerating, but, but that, right, that's like that run out in the football game, and everyone's like, you're going to win. But the fact is, one of them aren't. They're not going to win. And it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how much you long for them to win in your heart. They will not win. Because you cannot will them to win. Fact. <laughs> right? But that's the way we, we pretend like sin is going to get, get beat. Honestly, and I hear this encouragement of other people as if me telling you, dude, you're awesome is going to help you fight against sin. It won't. Because it doesn't speak truth. And so what James does here is he helps us by speaking truth to the people. The truth is that you in and of yourself are not at all ready to fight against sin. You don't have what it takes to stand against Satan's temptation. When the time comes and it attacks you, you aren't powerful in enough yourself to fight against the desire in your life. And so, so James has brought us through something that should be incredibly sobering to us, which is that we have been unfaithful. The habit of our life, the, the pattern of our life has been to be unfaithful to God. Um, and that, guys, there's so much I could just say right now to show how that's true. Um, I guess I, I hope uh, for you and myself that we will we will come to the point when we we realize how much God longs for us. And we will come to hurt for the reality of, of how much sin is still present in our lives and how much we, we grieve him. If it doesn't matter to you that you grieve God when you sin, that's where you need to start. Uh, there are some people who say they're Christians who have never uh, felt how terrible sin is. They can say it, but usually it's in that way of like, oh yeah, these other people, they're sinners. Um, but there hasn't been that reality in your own life personally that you are, are terribly grieved over the way that you have lived unfaithfully in your relationship with God. And so to that person, James speaks. 
to the person who, when he says, you have been adulterous. You're not like, stop judging me, but that person that goes, I have been. That is me. That is Daniel Frederick, who has been unfaithful to God. And I want to know what to do about that. I want to stop being unfaithful. I'm speaking to you right now, to the person who does not think that sin matters. I, I, can't, I have nothing to offer you. Um, to the person who knows when they hurt God, um, that they don't care. I have nothing to offer you. But to that person who, who sees sin and does not want it to be a part of their lives anymore, uh, this is what James offers them. The first is this. He says, submit to God. See, he doesn't start by saying, no, you're better than that. Because the truth is, you aren't better than that. You've known from the pattern in your life that you aren't better than that. You aren't stronger than that. And so he says, submit to God. And what this means is to willingly place yourself under the authority of God. To no longer try to live by your own authority. To no longer live trying to carry out your own desires or will but to, to place yourself under. And, and the way this is described, the this, this same concept of submission is used in Luke 2, where it says Jesus lived in submission to Mary and Joseph. He lived in submission to them, which means he willingly lived in their home and lived under their authority. Um, in Ephesians 5.20, where it says wives and husbands submit to one another, it means willingly put yourself under that person's authority. You no longer are the authority of your own life. If you're married, right, you should submit in the same way we need to submit to him. In Romans 8, 7, it says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. And, and why is that? Because it's already chosen a side. It's already chosen that, that when, when temptation comes, you already have the white flag in your back pocket. You're ready to surrender to it. You're ready to give in because you haven't submitted to the authority of God. You've, you've allowed yourself to, uh, to be tossed by any temptation. And that's why the second thing is this. It says, so resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, in Ephesians 6, uh, it talks about God giving us armor. And the cool thing is, is it kind of parallels these verses in this way where, where it says, so submit to God. And if you live in submission to him, then he gives you his armor to be able to, to stand against Satan's temptations. Let me read this for you really quick. 6.10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And 13, 613, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day comes, when the evil day comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And the word there is resist. So you will be able to resist when that day comes. Are you putting up resistance to the devil when his schemes come? Because if you do, he will flee from you. But... In all honesty, I think some of us don't resist. We're like, oh, here it comes again. I guess I'm just going to, you know, take this hit again and then go back to God's grace, not realizing 
but God offers a better way. Submit to God, resist the devil. And it says, then come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God, and he will then come near to you. This is the story of the whole Bible. If you, if you want like a, a brief summary of the whole Bible, this is it. An invitation to come to God, our rejection of that. An invitation to come to God, our rejection of that. Invitation to come to God, our rejection of that, right? I mean, think about every epic of biblical history, and that is it. Adam and Eve created, invitation to come into his presence, rejection of that. Right? Then you have their descendants, they're invited into his presence. Then what do they do? <laughs> Noah, they reject God. Right? New generation after Noah, Tower of Babel, boom, right? Reject God. Then they come back to him. Then as he chooses Abraham and Israel, what do they do? Reject God. He calls them back. They reject God. He calls them back. So this is what is come near to God. This is in, in the New Testament where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavenly, and I will give you rest. Come near to him. And the same thing is true right now. Come near to him. And, and the same idea is what's presented in Luke 15, the prodigal son coming home. So how do you stand against sin? Well, you submit to the authority of God, you resist Satan, and you come home. Right? Stop living in the place of compromise. If God's revealing sin in your life, don't live in that place anymore. You can't live in that place and experience the nearness of God. You can't. And some of you wonder, why don't I experience the nearness of God? And it's because you haven't left the home of sin. You just keep living there and expect, expect to experience his nearness. Wash your hands and purify your heart. The cool thing is when it talks to us about washing our hands and purifying our hearts, purifying our hearts, is that comes after the invitation to come. Right? And that's so good, that's so needed. So so little Willie and Billy, right? Willie is all dirty. Mama doesn't go, you stay outside and clean yourself, right? No, she goes, she goes, come in, let me clean you off. And that's that's the invitation to come to God, come to Jesus. It doesn't mean figure it out. It means come and experience home. And in that safety, in that safety, be washed clean. There is only one washing that will keep you clean, and that is the blood of Jesus. Find yourself there. And in that, it says, weep, cry it out. Right? And I love, I absolutely love the song we sang earlier, Come Now Find, where it says, Bind my wandering heart to thee, because my heart still when I'm home and I'm washing clean, I need to be kept there. And, and what this means is this. See sin as sinful, and don't glorify the past. I think sometimes we help each other avoid actually moving completely past our past is because we talk about it and we can glorify it and, and we're not help one another welcoming them into home because oftentimes we don't, we don't talk like we're in the Father's home together. 
to grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning. In, in Matthew, where Jesus, his first big sermon, he says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed is the person who finally releases their sin, grieves over it, right? If you've ever experienced being outside of home because something has kept you from that, and then you're reconciled to that, gosh, you got to cry it out, Right? Because it's so good to be home. But, but that goodness is only known when you experience real grief over where you have come from. Because let your heart be grieved over the sin you've participated in. Because only then will you experience comfort. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And as I was, I was studying this, I kept asking myself, why, why does it say humble ourselves? How do we get to that humble place? And then yesterday morning, I was at this coffee shop, and I was, all of a sudden it hit me. Humble yourself because, over and over and over again, I keep screwing up. That humbles me. Like, and I, if you think I'm speaking judgmentally, you don't even think I'm speaking about you anymore. I'm speaking about me. Like, I'm terribly humbled by the fact that the good I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I continue doing. And that humbles me. I'm humbled by the fact that I don't have the strength to follow Jesus like I want to. I'm humbled by the fact that his grace continues calling me home. His grace continues reaching out to me. His grace keeps loving me. So, I want you to think of it this way. For some of us, what we've talked about could be an explanation of where you currently are. For some of you, you've heard about peace, you've wanted it, but then you realize there's not peace in your heart. For some of you, it will be a warning that you needed to hear. A warning to to choose a side, to prepare for battle, to realize that this world is not neutral. For some of you, this will be a help, what you needed to fight, the persistent sin that keeps creeping up in your life. And I want this just to be really clear, so I'm going to just run through this again. When I desire sin, what do I do? And guys, let this be, I think this might be the most important sermon I've ever preached. I'm sincerely saying that because I think I need this so much right now. When I desire sin, what do I do? Number one, I submit to God. I submit to his authority. What he says yes to, I say yes to. What he says no to, I say no to. That's what it means to submit to his authority. My will, I'm going to lay that one aside. I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going, to, I'm going to put up resistance in my life so when temptation comes, I'm not just going to fall over to it. I'm not going to be easily pushed over, but I'm going to set up guards in my life against it. And I'm going to forcefully resist it with what God has given me to do that, his armor. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to hold the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to come near to God. That means what I'm going to do is I'm going to enter his home. I'm going to live in that place. 
I'm, no, I'm going to remove myself from the place of sin, and I'm going to, I'm going to live in the home of God. I'm going to wash my hands and purify my heart. I'm going to take care of those things that need to be taken care of. I'm not going to let them remain in my life. I'm going to grieve, mourn, wail. I'm not going to make light of the sin that's been in my life. I'm not going to, when somebody asks me about it, I'm not going to say, Dude, I'm getting better, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm going to let them enter that process with me. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to confess to them and tell them how much I've been torn up because of what I've participated in. What I've done, what I've willfully done. When I am alone with God in prayer, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to let myself experience sorrow because of the way I've seen sin ravage my life and others. And I will humble myself before the Lord And the promise there is that when you humble yourself before him, that he will lift you up. Guys, and that's the good word we need to hear because some of us just want happy, happy, joy, joy. And what I mean by that is, is you will never go through this process of seeing sin removed from your life because what will creep back and will be offered to you is just an easier way. And in in a year from now, five years from now, you're going to look back and those will be wasted years. Because you didn't take the opportunity to grieve, mourn, and wail, right? To address what was going on in your life, to turn to God. And that's what he's offering you today, again. He's offering me again today. And so in time, he will lift us up. He will lift us up, and we will be his. And and in that place, in his presence, it says in Psalm 16, is the fullness of joy. Joy everlasting, joy never ceasing, Because those who are peacemakers who sow in peace will harvest righteousness. And that is true. That won't happen if you let sin remain. If you stay in the home of sin. Guys, let's do this together. And so how do we do this as a church? The way we do this as a church is by being faithful and speaking to one another these things. When I struggle with sin and I share that with you, that's not you going, dude, you're better than that because I am not better than that. I am not stronger than that. I need to submit to God. And that's what I need you to tell me. That's what I need to tell you. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Come home. Don't live in the place of sin. Come home. Humble yourself more and more. And he will lift you up. And you'll see just how good his salvation is. Pray with me. God, I, I pray over your people here that you would give us by your spirit submissiveness to yourself. God, sometimes our rebellion is so deep. I mean, I think we could even hear this whole thing and the whole time something inside of us is going, man, what I'm experiencing isn't that bad, or, or he's making this sound crazy, and it's not that crazy. And some of us, I think, will go years without experiencing your peace because we don't think it is that bad.
because that we won't experience the true love and welcome of being in home with you. God, we want to be there together. Make us a people that humble before you. Lift us up, God. You're faithful, you're good. We love you. We praise in Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen.